episode 256 of the Pilot the Pilot Podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log, with Garmin Pilot. The Pilot to Pilot podcast is brought to you by Learn the Finer Points. Use the link below to save 10% off their ground school app. The TSO certified Bose ProFlight Series 2 aviation headset pairs Bose noise cancellation with optimum comfort. It's engineered to be the lightest, most compact aviation headset for an uncompromised flying experience. Start your 60-day test flight and finance with Bose Pay at Bose.com slash ProFlight. With high-resolution coast-to-coast composite radar and cloud-to-cloud, cloud-to-ground lightning updated every 2.5 minutes along with always available weather products like METARs, ECHOTOPS, and STORMTRACKS, Sirius XM lets you fly confidently knowing that your weather information is available at 500 feet or at your destination 500 miles ahead. Check out aopa.org forward slash Sirius XM to get a two-month free trial to try these products out for yourself. Avi Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's episode is a cool one because as you've heard me preach for 255 episodes, having a mentor is very, very crucial to your career and being able to find one that can guide you down the right path and then set you up for success is huge. And today is with one of my mentors, uh, one of the two that I had outside from my dad. Uh, the other one still won't come on the podcast, but today we have Bill No. Bill No has done some amazing things over here in this podcast. He rose all the way up to become president and CEO of a major fractional company based in Columbus, Ohio. I actually met Bill No through Urban Meyer, and we'll tell a funny story about how Urban Meyer claims that he got me my job. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It was a lot of fun to talk to him. Uh, it was great to have him on, and he's doing some amazing things and is continuing to build uh, really, really cool stuff. So Bill, thank you so much for coming on the episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out the podcast Instagram page, Pilot the Pilot. Check out Pilot's Coffee, the best coffee in aviation. And of course, I cannot go without First Form Bars. It's at the end of a seven-day tour. I'm skipping breakfast just so I can have one of those bars because they're that good. I'll have a link below, so make sure you check that out. But Aviation, without any further ado, here's Bill. No. Bill, what's going on? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. And I was telling you before we started recording, uh, but I've always preached about mentors and everyone, I mean, to the point where they've gotten sick of me talking about getting a mentor and how they need a mentor. (laughs) And honestly, I know I've said this before, but you were one of the key mentors I had in choosing, in making the decisions that I've made and and the path that I've gone down. So uh, I thank you for that and uh, just how important it is. And so it's so cool to have an opportunity to interview you here on the podcast now and kind of share your story. Well, Justin, it's so glad. To, I'm just so proud of you and, and glad to be here on your your podcast today. I remember your coach asking me, can you can you talk to the, one of my players? He's really <laughs> interested in aviation. I said, of course. So, um, boy, I think that was 10, 10 plus years ago. It was. And, and now you're, you're successful and got a family going and just, just really, really thrilled for you. Glad, yeah. Great to see. I think that was Coach Meyer, right? Coach Meyer came up to it you. It was. Yeah. Yes, sir, it was. Yeah. Mm. 
And you know, I remember he, we had a team meeting and he gave a whole speech for like 30 minutes about how you need to make sure you're using Ohio State for everything Ohio State can offer you too. And then it went dark, it went silent. And he's like, where's my pilot? And I stand up and he points at me. He's like, I got you with net jets. And I was like, okay, thanks. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> yeah, right. It's funny. He actually flew, because I think he has his own account. He flew with a, a pilot that I have flown with and I ran into that pilot and he said, Hey, I flew your coach. And he's like, he, he wanted me to tell you that he, he's responsible for you getting this job. And I was like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, he's right. <laughs> yeah, all right. So I was like, cool. It's, it's all about who you know, right? That's it. That is it. That's cool. Well, let's get into it. I, I, I probably don't even know all, everything that you're about to say. So I'm very interested in, in this conversation, but I want to start from the beginning, like way, way, way back. Why did you even think or even want to become a pilot in the first place? That's a great question. <clears throat> I've been asked this um, several times, so I have kind of like a repetitive answer, but um, it's um, nonetheless true. So. I was growing up in, I was born in Nashville, Kentucky, grew up in Huntington, West Virginia, right by Marshall University. And if you're around this area, uh, it's similar, but at a lesser scale than the Buckeye Nation. Uh, we have the herd nation here and um, it becomes part of your life and, you know, gets into your soul and um, uh, you just can't help it. So I was growing up here. Uh, I was in high school. I was 17 years old. I was driving down the, the road and I saw this sign that said, do you want to be a pilot? Turn in here. So I just turned in and I walked into the facility and I said, uh, hey, sign says you want to be a pilot? Turn in here. So I'm here. What do you do? They took me up on an intro flight, and and it was great. Had a wonderful time in a little Cessna 152 with an instructor, and I thought that was the deal. Shortly after that, uh, I graduated high school and uh, went to, of course, Marshall. Uh, I was a, a you were on the football field. I was in the swimming pool. Uh, so I enjoyed a, a, a nice career since I was four year, years old in the pool and had a. Um, uh, scholarship offers to all the big schools everywhere in the country and ultimately decided to stay at Marshall because it becomes part of you when you grow up here and then all that you know, kind of history. So I stayed at Marshall and uh, didn't have much time to go back to fly. You know, when you're, as you know, when you're a collegiate athlete, balancing uh, academics against the uh, athletics is a full-time job and it's very demanding. So that took most of my time. Towards the end of uh, my college career, I got an opportunity to go to work for this company uh, and make a lot of money at a ripe old age of about 21, 22 years old. And so that's what I did. And the owner of that company had an airplane. And he said, hey, you you did a little flying, right? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, I'm going to go up flying uh, here this afternoon. You want to go with me? I said, yes, I'd absolutely love to. Got back up in his airplane and remembered why I liked the first flight so much that I decided right on that flight before we landed, I'm taking every penny I've got and have to borrow some more to go get all my certificates and ratings because this is what I want to do. <laughs> and it, it happened to coincide with a little movie called Top Gun that came out in 1986. <laughs> <laughs> and so it jazzed me up quite a bit about flying. And I thought, you know, that would be something cool to do. So that's what I did. And uh, went full throttle. Got uh, my certified flight instructor ratings and was the flight instructor for a company down in Florida. Enjoyed that immensely. Really enjoyed the people interaction and teaching people fly and giving back. And, and all of that entails. And 
all the while, I'd heard about this company called Executive Jet. I was trying to get on with this, this company. I had, didn't have enough total flight time, didn't have the experience they required. They weren't hiring. It was late 80s, early 90s, a recession in the country. So nobody was hiring anybody. But I would, my wife, Lisa, was a flight attendant at American. And I would uh, ride on American passes to go up to Columbus and just walk in their corporate headquarters and knock on their door and sit around and try to meet the right people and tell them I wanted to come to work for them. Well, the ones I, I talked to told me that I didn't have enough experience, didn't have enough time and to come back later. And I said, OK, so the, the couple months I'd go back up, still didn't have enough time or enough experience, but I would go back up. And well, at the time, <clears throat> I um, they, they were just starting out with this fractional ownership um, scheme. The, the company Executive Jet. Airways started in 1964, 1965 changed its name to Executive Jet Aviation, and that was the name of the company. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Richard Santulli bought the company in 1984 and introduced this fractional ownership concept in aviation uh, in airplanes in 1986. So that was like any startup trying to figure out its its footing and, and get on then it's a couple in a recession. So in 1993, they finally called me because I bugged them so much and hired me. <laughs> so I think I was the 48th or 50th pilot hired in the company. We only had 17 airplanes at the time. Oh, wow. And uh, it was crazy. And I was in the first or second class that created the company that you now know as NetJets today. Wow. So it was, but then the funny thing was I knew all the pilots already because I had been bugging them going up to the corporate headquarters uh, when they would come into the airports in Florida that I was, I'd go to the FBOs and meet them and give them rides to their hotels. And I, I knew them all. So that, that was kind of, kind of interesting. So I did all this and, and we started growing like crazy at NetJets and adding airplanes and people. And at one point we were adding a new airplane every 3.7 days. And if you just think logistically how to hire for that and, and operate that, um, amount of growth, which was termed, viewed as vertical by most, uh, it was it was just unbelievable what what the team came together and, and did during that time. So how does this um, relate to the story of how did I start to get into flying? So we're doing all this stuff with NetJets, and I'm thinking this is the greatest thing ever. Look how good we are. We're growing like crazy. Can't figure out why everybody can't do this in, in business. And in 1999, my mother gives me a Christmas present and it was a framed, uh, uh, it was a, a notebook paper like you would have in grade school, a line notebook paper, and it was framed. She had it framed. She kept it all these years. So this would, this would have been 1971, two, I was in the second grade and the heading of the paper was me in 1999. So she gives me this present in 1999 of me telling me what I'm going to be doing in 1999. And it said I was going to be a pilot. No way. I had, for, I had forgotten that between the, probably the time I wrote it and the time I was 17 years old. I thought the story started when I was 17 years old, just driving down the street. Apparently uh, that wasn't the case. And it started quite at a much younger age. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You had a, a little intuition telling you to make that right turn to go uh, go up to the airport then. 
I guess there was more influence there than I realized. Yeah. You know, what's really funny is that you telling that story about going to executive jet at the time and, and bugging people and talking to them and then come back, you know, another six months. That's exactly what I did to you. <laughs> I did the exact it, same thing. It worked, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Persistent man. Every, every like six months, yeah. I think I was uh, getting my nose in the, into the office and coming to say hi and just meeting people. Uh, and it's just what you got to do, right? I mean, just who you know can go so far in this industry, as you know, as well. And just getting your face out there and, and your reputation. I always say to try to treat yourself like your own CEO, essentially. You're the CEO of your career, your piloting career, and how you manage yourself. And just putting your name out there and making sure you have positive uh, uh, images when it comes to who you are, it can go such a long way. Yeah, a matter of fact, Justin, in my high school yearbook, we had to put a quote under our... Um, senior picture. And the quote I put in there was, it's not what you know, it's who you know. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it hasn't changed ever since then too. Uh, it's yeah, a tale as old as time as some would say. But uh, talk yeah. about a little bit about the decision from going, you had, you're pretty much starting your own career. You know, you're making money, you're doing your own thing right outside of Marshall. Uh, and you got back in that airplane and you realized this is what you wanted to do. Was it difficult for you to walk away from that income that you already had that, you know, you, you're making money, you're doing something else. Was it difficult for you to walk away and kind of start over and have this unknown of what you're going to do? Cause aviation then is much different than what aviation is now for someone starting, you know, there's not many jobs back then, right? You kind of had to fight for it. You had to have thousands and thousands and thousands of hours to really make an income right. and to live the dream essentially. Uh, but now he can go to regional, you can make a hundred grand your first year. You can buy a brand new car. You can buy a house essentially. So it's much different. So talk about the, men, the mental, um, just how hard it was to make that decision to walk away from your job to go flying. Well, it wasn't because I saw, I saw what I believed to be the light at the end of the tunnel and just put every ounce of energy um, towards that light. So for me, it was, yeah, you know, I, I, I made a lot of money coming out of high school as a young um, individual I took all that money and sunk it into all these ratings and certificates uh, and had to borrow some. And now I got to go try to find a job in an economy that is just not cooperative when it comes to um, jobs anywhere, much less in aviation. But I was fortunate enough to find a job flight instructing and, um, and like I said, loved it. And then before I found the job flight instructing, I got married. Now, my wife was a flight attendant for American, as I said, but she married me and I didn't have a job. And, <laughs> and I'm like, who in the world would do that? Yeah, some, some dads <laughs> would advise against that. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. I mean, that does not go under the heading of smart thing to do. So uh, I would attribute anything I've done in life from 1990 to 2023 to her. She has done all the heavy lifting. She's been the advisor. She's been the motivator. She's been the disciplinarian. Um, she's been everything, the guidance counselor, the mentor. Uh, and I, I couldn't um, uh, imagine looking back and trying to navigate that myself without her. So um, w when I looked at it initially, I'm like, yeah, this is just what I'm going to do. And then we got married and I was like, oh my gosh, now it applies a little more pressure <laughs> and uh, got a job flight instructing. So I had a job that was good. Didn't pay very well, but that was okay. Our combined income was slightly above poverty at that time <laughs> and um, uh, started trying to get on with uh, this, this company called Executive Jet at the time. So the, the decision really wasn't a difficult one from a motivational and career aspiration 
angle. If I would have stopped and thought about it from a financial stability uh, angle, I, I don't know if I would have hesitated or not, but probably. But at the time, I was just, let's go. This, this is it. There's nothing that's going to stop uh, me from doing this. I don't care. We're, we're going we're gonna to get to the light at the end of the tunnel, and this is the direction we're going. So it was yeah. all in. That's good. I mean, you got to be there was no safe. There was no safety net, so to speak. <laughs> There's no backup, huh? <laughs> there was no backup. Uh, go back and beg for your job. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, Please. that wouldn't work. The company yeah. ended up going out of business two years later. So well, JK. I, I, it wouldn't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can always be a swim coach. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that probably been what I, what I yeah. would have been doing. So one interesting thing is, how did you even really know what executive jet management was? Um, uh, great question. Nobody asked me that question very often. Yeah. So one of the individuals that was initially one of my instructors when I was getting my certificates and ratings, ultimately uh, we were instructors together. He was married. His wife was an orthopedic surgeon that lived in Athens, Ohio that like a lot of doctors uh, stereotypically will go get their pilot's license and buy an airplane and fly around because uh, they can afford it. Uh, he did that and he started flying his own airplane. He loved flying so much that he stopped being a physician and went to be a full-time pilot. So <laughs> this, this individual stopped being an orthopedic surgeon in, you know, making significantly more money than you would at a pilot as a pilot in the late eighties. And just stopped doing that and became a pilot for this company called Executive Jet Aviation out of Columbus, Ohio. Wow. And I thought to myself, anybody that believes in something that much, I'm all in. So I had learned about this fractional ownership concept along the way from my, my uh, instructor, my, my, uh, uh, my pal and his wife. And to me... I, it, Back in the late 80s, you know, I would sit around in an airline and I would count the seats and I'd go, I don't know, what's the average ticket price here? Three, four hundred dollars and count it up. And ironically, what's the average ticket price today? About three, four hundred. That ought to tell you something. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I would sit around. And I couldn't figure out how they make money. I just couldn't figure it out. And I'm not, you know, uh, an aviation expert. I don't, I'm not a financial expert. I just couldn't figure it out. But what did make sense to me, especially after hearing the story about um, uh, my friend's uh, uh, wife's father, I went, that makes a whole lot of sense to me now, how you can take the cost of full ownership and break that down into pieces. And it would bring a lot more business to the company and much and be a lot easier to um, make uh, a company successful, which we found out through the 90s was more difficult than we thought, but we figured it out in the 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's also interesting because you had kind of an in, not an in, but you got to see the inside track of an American Airlines life too. So you had no pull to American Airlines, like nothing inside you was like, you know, why don't I try the major route? Well, you got great questions. So I, like a lot of pilots, when I started out, thought, okay, what do you, where do you ultimately want to be? Well, of course you want to be at the major airlines. You know, that's where everybody wants to be walking down the airline terminal yeah. to the airplane with their captain's uniform on, you know, that's that prestige, that status, man, that's, that's job well done. Kind of you accomplished, you know, uh, your uh, aspirations and goals. And that's what I thought. I thought, yeah, I'll end up going to the airlines. Well, 
when I would ride around with my wife on American, and this was true with all airlines, not just American, it, it for me turned me really off of the life as a pilot in the airline world. Uh, the reason was it was all based on seniority, not uh, achievement or um, uh, capability or anything. It was just based on seniority. You had to bid your routes. You fly the same places all the time until you build another route kind of thing. And I was like, boy, I, I don't, that's just not flying to me. And then of course, when I uh, had been learning about this company called Executive Jet, I was like, boy, that just locked me and swung the pendulum way far over to the private side of uh, aviation and ended up uh, being lucky enough to be hired by uh, uh, executive jet, which is now net jets, of course. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting side of the industry. And one that even now, not many people, not as many people as you think know about it. Whenever you say the name or say who I fly yep. for, they're always like, what's yeah. that? It's like, all right, well, how right. much time do you got? Like, let's talk about it. And they're like, oh, that sounds yep. pretty cool. And, That's and, right. and now the pay, mm-hmm. it, it, it's still probably not right at major airline pay, but it's gotten more competitive and it's just going to continue to get better just as long as, as major airlines are going to get better as well. So, uh, it, it's an interesting side of the industry that if anyone wants to try something other than the majors, they should definitely give it a shot because you might be surprised at how much you like it. There's a lot of good flying here. There's a lot of cool stuff you do. And it's way, it's not, <laughs> everyone always thinks when I go clean up the back or anything, it's like, you're really like deep cleaning the toilet. It's not like that. <laughs> and so yeah. don't, don't be afraid of that, but it's a really cool side of the industry to, to come check out and, and make a career out of. Yeah. And one thing for you is it, wasn't, I don't want to say it wasn't enough, but you had some, uh, some other ideas for your career. How did you, or I guess the first part is when did you first decide or even, and think you wanted to kind of enter the management side to kind of cross over, I'll say. Well, when I came on with executive jet, you know, we were, we were just starting out with what it looked, you know, what it ultimately ended up being, uh, as NetJets today. So we were trying to figure things out along the way. We didn't know, we didn't know how to do what we were doing in a lot of senses. We knew we had to be safe. So we knew we had to, to uh, provide a, a unique and, and uh, pleasant experience. But as far as all the, the gears and the back office stuff and how do you get squared away with the FAA and the department of transportation and how do we write contracts, how we do all this stuff to make this thing work was quite a uh, undertaking. And so I volunteered to come inside and help pretty soon, pretty quick, actually within a year of being there as a pilot, I said, Hey, I'll come in and help. And they said, all right, if you're crazy enough to volunteer for that, we'll take you. (laughs) And so I came inside, so to speak on the more on the business side of things, but kept, kept flying over the years. I would go in and out of uh, currency. You know, I would fly regularly and then I'd take a few years off based on just demand. You couldn't, um, uh, find time to do it. Uh, but I always thought, you know, if you're, if you're managing and leading and helping to, um, guide a, a business and you lose touch with the service you're actually selling, that's probably not a good thing. So I stayed active as a pilot along the way, but spent the majority of my time on the, the business side of things, uh, really quick within the first year of, um, of, of joining the team. When did you realize that this was going to be more than me just helping out? Like, was it accomplishments you had throughout the years or was it immediate? You realized that you could really kind of help out and make a, make a difference in the company. I think what I realized real quick was I I went through Marshall 
uh, and had a, the, the basis of a, a business, um, of an idea of what business was about. Then my time working for this company when I left Marshall was a construction company. And I learned a lot about business and leadership on the, out in the construction yard. So it was uh, very educational, uh, which you wouldn't think uh, at first glance, but it was very educational uh, to be um, uh, fortunate enough to, to, to have that exposure at, a, at an early age. And all that just parlayed right into uh, the aviation side of things. Yeah. Um, no, definitely. It's amazing what you can find out getting your hands dirty or working in construction or even any kind of job like that or, or uh, get down deep in the weeds doing stuff and seeing what it's really about. One thing that I always remember when I came to meet with you guys and the company is I was always so shocked and surprised at how like, I want to. I mean, you were kind of like my first insider to like upper management in a company like that, other than my coaches at Ohio State. But how you almost knew everyone's name. You gave everyone a fist bump. You like shook everyone's hand. You always had a smile on your face, and everyone seemed to smile back. And I always kind of just like thought that was the coolest thing. And, and I just assumed that other places were like that. But as you can kind of go on, you don't really see that at other places. So I didn't. I, I knew it was special, but I didn't realize kind of how special it was until I kind of saw some other places and realized, hey, they don't necessarily do that same. Don't smile at the guy that kind of uh, writes their checks or <laughs> makes some decisions all the time. So I always thought that was really cool, and and you can really tell that there's a cool. They had a cool organization and had some some good family bonds up there. We did, we really did, and and the way I looked at it was, we're all in this together. We're either going to win it together or we're going to lose it together. Kind of like you and your team uh, in, in your athletic career. So we're going to be together. Um, let's just put this foundation in place to where we're going to try to be always honest, fair, and consistent. We are going to have to make some tough decisions sometimes, but as long as you trust and see and can believe that we're being honest, fair, and consistent with our approach, uh, we'll get buy-in and we'll get, you know, there's, there's basically three levels to any relationship and that's respect, trust, and loyalty. Um, first you got to gain respect, then you earn some trust, then you ultimately uh, achieve uh, loyalty. And you, tr- you try to, to get any relationship into that loyalty um, bucket and, uh, and keep it there. So for me, it was pretty simple. I'm like, you know, I, I was pretty much overhead uh, compared to what the team was doing day in and day out, making the, the business work. So I looked at it like, gosh, I appreciate everything you guys are doing so much. I just want to thank all of you all the time. And that's the way I kind of walked around the, the facility day in and day out. And you saw me fist bump. I wish I knew everybody's name. <laughs> I'm pretty good with faces, but, um, nonetheless, if they were flying the NetJets flag and, and wearing the, um, uh, uh, the team logo, we were, you know, we, we were, that's the way we approached it. And that's true <laughs> with life after net sets as well. That's, yeah. you know, no, definitely. Um, I, what did you write? Was it COO? Was that as high as you got? Or what was the, the official highest title you got? 
president and chief operating officer. Yeah. That's amazing. That's so like it's just crazy. I mean, in the position I am now, like thinking of a, just a normal average pilot getting hired and working their way up to the essentially to the top. It's just a wild. And usually people say pilots make terrible CEOs and, and make terrible decisions, but I can promise you that from what I've seen and, and from knowing you, that's not the case. But uh, for maybe for most of the pilots, it's the case, but not for you. Uh, but it's just really cool to see that your hard work was able to, to put you up there and, and really kind of pay off. Well, thank you. And I, I think that, um, I think that there's, you're right. Uh, anybody in any profession that, that performs the task day in and day out believe they have a good understanding of the overall business. But a lot of times you, you have a complete understanding of what your responsibility is, but maybe not a complete understanding of how the actual business works on the whole. Yeah. So there's, there's, people in any industry that can can make that transition and do it well and then there's 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 many that cannot for someone let's say someone right now is listening to this maybe they're an american maybe they're at insert whatever company you want but they're interested in making that jump how would you recommend them go about that? Obviously, as on the management side, I'm sure it's kind of like we already have our team. We can hire the best talent in the world while we hire a pilot that's already making money for us. How would you recommend someone kind of approach maybe the president and CEO or the HR director or their chief pilot and just kind of proposing like, hey, I have these skills. I'd love to help. Well, I think you've got to build your, your, your competency level up to a point to where the current team would entertain the idea of bringing you on board in whatever position you were you were seeking and if 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 i'm a if i'm a, a player on the football field and i want to be the the general manager of the team that's a pretty big jump you may want to be an assistant coach may want to be you know graduate to a higher level coach get up to you know being a head coach and you know try to figure out your 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 path to build your credibility and and your knowledge base and 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 along the way figure out if that's really what you want to do a lot of times i think that folks see something at the end and say man if i could just do that that would be perfect not understanding or realizing the steps along the way that it took that individual to 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 go through to ultimately get that position or that that status. So, and I, I think that's true in anything, you know, if I, if I want to be a, if I want to be a Navy SEAL, I can look at a Navy SEAL and go, man, if I could just be one of those guys, that'd be, well, by the time you actually get to be at that level, you're like, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> some people um, uh, serve their time and leave and some people uh, continue on as a career and love it. So I, I think it's, it's ultimately soul search really what it is you want to do and and research it enough to to make sure that your inclination and feeling is is right and then once it's right don't second guess yourself just go full throttle go for it go in all in nothing is going to change anything uh, that's going to conflict with the outcome you're just going to go exactly no i would agree Looking back on your career, um, do you ever wish you just stayed a pilot? Do you ever wish you just flew the skies, didn't have any other ambitions, just just let it rip in the air? You know what, Jason? I am probably one of the more fortunate aviators um, that I know. And I started flying because I apparently at two years old thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Started flying at 17, went all in in my early 20s. 
and stayed an active um, aviator over the years. And when I really stepped out of the business side of things, out of my my role as a as the business. Um, of aviation, I was fortunate enough to be able to step right into another situation where I could go and fly an airplane around the world. And that happened uh, six, seven years ago. And I, I, t- I told myself I'd do it for a year or two and that was it. And that was about seven years ago. So that answers your question. It's um, There is a uh, very few professions, jobs, careers uh, that you truly get fulfilled from. And one that, and that's one of the reasons I like private aviation so much is because, especially in a model like that, you never know where you're going. You never know when you're going. Uh, You just know you're going. And that is so much fun. And you get to see places that people only see on TV or see in, in books. You get to go and experience and touch, feel, smell uh, places that you you never in a million years imagined that you would actually be at. And it, what it does is it takes the, when you fly globally, it takes the world and shrinks it uh, pretty quick to where it doesn't seem like a big, big world anymore. It seems like, yeah, in 30, 30 plus hours I can circle this globe at an airplane and that's that's not a very long couple flights. Yeah, no not at all. Thank goodness for bathrooms and coffee makers, all right. All right. <laughs> um kind of thinking about this, we we all kind of see on the horizon, you know, there's always this talk about how there's a potential recession. Uh the stock market's gonna do whatever it's gonna do. But there there's always this kind of hint and fear of a recession. Now, you're kind of an interesting case because when you first started coming up as a pilot, you kind of hit the world with the recession. And then you worked your way up. You know, you finally got on with Executive Jet. You built your way up. You get there. You're making a name for yourself. You're working in the office. And then, boom, 2008 hits. You've seen the recession from a pilot side, and you've seen the recession from management side. Let's take a break from today's podcast to hear from our sponsors, RAA. Did you know there are three action steps you can take to protect yourself in a volatile market? Volatility in the market can make the best investor a little nervous and take actions that they know they normally wouldn't. It can be stressful and you may be thinking, shouldn't I be doing something though? Well, the answer is yes. The first and maybe the most important action you can take is to resist the urge to make decisions based on recent market movements alone. This is tough but will pay off in the long run. Next, if you're feeling stressed in this market, it may be time to review your risk tolerance and your ability to take a loss in downturns. We all like to think we can take the risk up until the point where we actually see fluctuations in our portfolio. And lastly, get a second opinion on where you stand financially so you can take a longer-term view of the market in your financial plan. Not sure where to start? RAA can help. Founded by Pilots for Pilots and with four decades of financial planning and investment management experience, RAA is intimately familiar with unique benefits, risks, and career timelines that pilots face. Whether you're early in your career as a pilot or you spent years flying the line, RAA is here to help navigate your financial journey from takeoff to touchdown. For more pilot-specific planning tips, go to raa.com slash pilot pilot That's pilot, T-O, pilot. And now back to today's episode. What would be some advice if there is a recession? We don't really need to speculate on that, but let's just say there is going to be one. But uh, what would you kind of give it as advice for someone that's seen it in the shoes of a pilot who's maybe worried of a furlough or someone that is in those decisions that uh, kind of makes those decisions if there is going to be a furlough? 
Well, you're right. There will be a recession at some point because the as the peaks and valleys happen with the economy over the years, they'll you know it'll it'll ultimately happen. I don't know if it'll happen uh, this year or 20 years from now, but at some some point it'll be there. Um, boy, that's you know in aviation, it's kind of tough, uh, especially in the I'll say the more airline world where um, the economy dictates everything. So, you know, I've had many, many close friends and, and been around many, many people that have been furloughed, brought back, furloughed, brought back, furloughed, brought back from the airlines. Uh, the, and that's pretty sensitive to what the economy does. There are other areas in the industry, in the aviation industry, that are less sensitive to what the economy does. Uh, for instance, net jets. Net jets will be affected by a recession or, or a dip in the economy, but maybe not so much as the airline model would be. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. So if you go beyond net jets and you say, well, where's next? If you go into the the privately owned aircraft that are owned by individuals or businesses that are not affected so much by the swings in the economy, uh, then the furlough, bring back, furlough, bring back doesn't really happen as much. And you're a little bit more solid on, uh, on your, your, you know, on solid ground to be less susceptible, not saying it's impossible. I mean, anything could happen. And, you know, if, if, if economy uh, goes the wrong way and some, people decide to f sell their own airplanes, um, that certainly happens and that's a possibility too. But if you get with the right, uh, if we get in the right scenario, uh, it's less apt to happen in, in that. And then, of course, if you go beyond that and you go, well, Maybe I'm a, a aviator that wants to turn towards uh, the military, whether it's starting out as an aviator or you're a pilot and you want to transition to the guard or the reserves. Uh, that's less susceptible to economic swings, not completely immune, but less susceptible to um, to dramatic changes in workforce. So, I, you know, I think there's there's a lot of things that you can if that's something that concerns you, but there's a lot of folks out there that just want to be in the airlines and they, they know that it's a possibility to be furloughed and brought back and, furloughed, and, and that's just the, the, the bet they're going to make. And, and, and that, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm uh, glad they're out there so we can fly around when we need to fly around. Right. But, um, but I, I, that's the way I look at it anyway. And, and you know, it's, um, um, that's been my experience anyway. Yeah. It's one of those things where the aviation industry is very cyclical. Um, even before COVID, it was kind of like everyone thought that it was never going to have a down. It was always going to be up, 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 up from here. And then you can't predict 2020 and what happened from there on out. And now we're back kind of up to the up and up and airlines are getting all these new contracts and regionals are paying airline money or major money. And just, it seems like it's going to be great forever, but it always kind of seems to come back down. Now it seems to be in a cycle. It's like every eight years or so, but you always got to enjoy the highs and prepare for the lows and kind of just do the best you can. And, and in what, 30, 40 years that some people enjoy as a career, it usually comes out pretty even and you're usually going to do pretty well for yourself. But there's definitely going to be the opportunity for some really interesting years in aviation if you're here long enough. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's going to go up and down. There's no question. <clears throat> All right. So you, I mean, just someone that's what we've talked about already is, is like enough of an episode in itself. Uh, 
anyone that has pretty much accomplished what you've accomplished, done what you've done would probably be like, you know what? I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna go to Naples, Florida. I'm gonna go live on a beach for, for six for six years, for the rest of my life, whatever it is. But you decided that you wanted to go back to Marshall and you decided, hey, let's start a flight school. What was uh, the inspiration for you starting that? Well, uh, in 2014, the then president of Marshall University, Stephen Cobb, and a large part of his cabinet came up to Columbus to my office at NetJets. And they were up there doing some business and they swung by to a Marshall alum and were trying to solicit donations, of course. And we had a nice lunch. They left uh, four or five months later, they came back and same kind of thing. And at that point I said to him, I said, look, you know, you're a significantly uh, established division one school. Uh, Why don't you have an aviation program? Everybody else does. That's at your level and stature. I mean, Ohio university even has one, you know, I mean, all the big schools got them. Why, why, there's a there's a pilot shortage that's been forecast since 2000, the early 2000s, and and actually, the FAA made a move in 2007 to try to some circumvent some of the pilot shortage issues. Um, so I'm like, it's coming, it's right there. Everybody sees it. Why don't you guys start up uh, an aviation program? That's something I could really lean into, and and get, be be energized about. And they talked about it and they came back and they said, hey, I think we're going to do this. Well, right about that time, uh, President Cop unexpectedly passed away. So new president, Jerome Gilbert, came in and they he was part of his onboarding and part of his uh, first, uh, you know, being president. He gets briefed on this aviation idea. So they come to see me, talk, you know, give him my thoughts on it. Uh, ultimately, we moved on it and they said, Bill, look, you're, you know, we don't know anything about airplanes at all. Can you help us think through some of these things? I said, glad to do it. Oh, no worries. Um, whatever you need. So I helped them with, with thinking through uh, facilities, curriculums, aircraft type, uh, anything that they needed really. And that was, that was a whole lot of fun. So we did the grand opening for the flight school uh, August of 2020. I think it was August 2020 or 21. 21, August 2021. And that was a big hit. We did, it was four or 500 people. We had private jets coming in for the event. It was really, really cool. And um, before we did the grand, we got everything squared away. And we we're getting ready to, to, to get, the completion um, final touches put on it. Uh, they they asked me, "Hey, look, um, we'd like to name the school after you, if that would be okay with you." And I remember having an overwhelming feeling of um, uh, I'm not worthy. There's th- th- this is crazy. I mean, th- th- talk about humbling. I was like, you know, if my mom and dad were alive to see this, wouldn't that be cool? Uh, my dad would probably tell the people at Marshall, are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> but so, of course, I was like, oh, my gosh, what an honor and what a privilege. I'd love to. That'd be great. So they named the school after me, which <clears throat> one of the few times um, I know I've been outsmarted. Because when they when I said yes and they named the, the name of the school after they knew I would be more involved going forward. <laughs> so I think they outsmarted me in that regard. And, 
And subsequently, uh, I was, um, at the time, I was on the board of governors for the university, so very involved with the university. Glad to continue helping with now the startup aviation. And the next year, we opened up the air, um, the maintenance program um, down in the flight programs in Charleston, West Virginia, and the maintenance programs in Huntington, West Virginia. So we have a, a big net that we cast in the area here. Yeah, I was going to ask, so the main flight program's in Charleston, um, and then... Because there is an airport in Huntington, as I don't know if everyone knows that, but yeah, uh, Tri-State Airport. Yeah, yeah we, we actually go there more often than I ever would have thought, but we are there. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 Uh, so okay, main main airport, Charleston, and then you do your maintenance and have the maintenance program up in Huntington. What does the offering with the school is it like completely Marshall? Like, can you get like an aircraft science degree? Can you get like an aviation management degree, uh, or is it just kind of a flight school on its own that operates under Marshall's kind of colors and uh, name? You've got three parallels. You can do your aviation maintenance technician training, your, your uh, mechanic training. You can do your pilot training, and you can do your business management degree in aviation. Perfect. Yeah. What, yeah. Uh, and, and we also offer in the flight program not just uh, four-year enrolled collegiate students, but if if – if you wanted to come and do your uh, single engine checkout in a Cirrus SR20, we would be able to do that for you. If, if anybody wants to come and just do a private pilot course, we could do that for you as well. So nice. we do the four year, full year degree, but we also do individualized uh, training as well. So you had a blank slate. Like they, they probably offered you a check. Like we need airplanes, go get airplanes. You're like, all right, cool. I mean, I can get you 172s. I can get you this. I can get you that. Uh, what was it for you to to go with Cirrus? Why did you choose the S? It's the SR twenties, right? Correct. Yeah, currently the school has five SR twenties uh, Cirruses. We took delivery of the fifth one in December of uh, this past year, and that was the initial order. Was uh, you know, this will sound familiar to you? We initial ordered five firm with options on fifteen more. <laughs> We're probably going to end up with closer to 30 once everything's said and done. And with our multi-engine trainer, we have a Piper Seminole, and we'll probably end up with about 10 of those. We have one right now. So the, 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 the decision for both those aircraft types were, and we did the analysis, I mean, I did a full analysis on every single engine aircraft trainer out there. Uh, we looked at all the pros and cons, the operating costs, the safety parameters, the technology, everything you can imagine. And what it came down to with Cirrus was, because they weren't the cheapest out there, they were on the more expensive side. And um, we're a university, so you know it's it's uh, we're not rolling in in extra cash by any means. But the way that the aircraft was designed with I don't know if you've been in a little single engine Cirrus uh, aircraft, but they have side sticks. They have like uh, the yoke is on the side, kind of like the big fly-by-wire airplanes have. So as technology advances in aviation, why not train right away and and from initial um, stages people to use the side stick up and coming aviators. They, that, that's what they're going to do when they get into the bigger airplanes. It's all eventually. So that was a big selling point. The other thing was the FMS, the flight management system was down between the seats, more like a more advanced 
airplane would be, whether it's in an airline or or a private uh, sector, you've got your 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 FMS controls down between the seats, so you kind of get used to looking down to program um, the 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 equipment. Then the next thing was the technology. The technology from the avionics standpoint is quite advanced, uh, more advanced than the global 7500 I'm flying in a lot of aspects. <laughs> but it's it's amazing technology that this airplane has. And then the other thing uh, was, and it wasn't a deciding factor, but it was just uh, an additional thing that was was nice to have, is the Cirrus SR-20 aircrafts, they, the plane has a parachute. So <laughs> from a safety standpoint, with well, a lot of people that have uh, parents that have kids in college, they say, I want to go be a pilot and I'm going to go train and fly around the mountains of West Virginia, Kentucky, and Ohio, and Tennessee. And the parents are going, you're going to do what? Well, the airplane actually has a parachute to give that one little more piece of um, safety in, in, the, in the system uh, to, to be an advantage. And then the, the Piper Seminole, we looked at everything in the multi-engine arena as well and basically came down to Piper Seminole's been a long, um, very high reputable twin engine trainer for many, many, many years. And the counter-rotating props really um, nudged out the safety uh, factor from the multi. So you don't have a, in aviation speak, a critical engine, although in normal speak, any engine that quits would be critical, right? But in in propeller-driven airplane, one engine makes the aircraft a little bit less desirable uh, to fly at slow speeds. So we went with counter-rotating props, so it took that off the table and basically mimicked the avionics package uh, that the Cirrus has in it. So when you go from the Cirrus to the Seminole, you're, you're already talking the same language from an avionics standpoint. Well, and if you think about a new flight school, like how do you differentiate yourself, right? Uh, probably with new airplanes, probably with technology, probably with uh, with positioning yourself as like, this is the way the industry is going. Come learn the way that you're always going to fly. G1000, side stick, FMS down by your seat, all that kind of stuff. But you also need to take an account for if one accident happens early on, it's over, right? Like you, you can't really get your reputation. It's not over. It's just hard to get that reputation back. So go with the safest option that you possibly can and, and really preaching safety from the beginning. And what offers that? Serious. So I, I totally understand it. And I would have done the same thing probably if I was in your shoes looking at those airplanes. Plus it, you guys have a, such a cool paint job too. That M looks great on all the planes. And I think you told me before we started that that was all, uh, all Bill No right there, right? I uh, designed the space paint, and what you probably didn't see was the M that's on the bottom of the airplane. I did There's not. Also no. M. Yeah, I'll have yeah, to get under the gear. You yeah, need to have yeah, another yeah, one at yeah. Oshkosh again, and I'll go. I'll crawl under and go that's look right. at it. That's it. <laughs> no, I mean that's incredible. It's uh, it's crazy to think one. It's crazy to think that. Most people flying today, there's a good chance they might not ever fly steam gauge airplanes ever because there's really no need for it as they continue on. Like yeah, they might buy a 172 one day, but in their training, going to the airlines, going to netjets or whatever fractional, whatever they want to go to, they could just fly glass their whole career. Uh, and now it could be the same thing with side sticks. Maybe all planes move to side sticks eventually. So it's just really interesting seeing how everything's progressing. Right. Yeah. So I know we're about to wrap up here soon, but I want you to kind of think of me as uh, I'm a new 18-year-old wanting to go to Marshall. We meet in the elevator. You find out that I am a interested in aviation. What's your, what's your 
15, 30 second elevator pitch to a brand new person that wants to get into flying and go to Marshall? Well, the first thing I would probably ask them is why? What, what's got you interested? And re- kind of go down that path a little bit to see if they really wanted to do it. Because as you know, it's an immense amount of sacrifice and immense amount of uh, book work. You know, when you're, when you're a professional aviator, you become a professional test taker. <laughs> you have uh, written tests, oral tests, flight check tests. I mean, you're doing that every six months around the class. So why it may seem like a, a very interesting and fun thing to do, do you really want to do it? And, and if the answer is checks, yes, and you, you want to go forward, then I would uh, do some uh, intro type stuff, take an intro flight, t- turn in here if you want to fly at 17 years old kind of thing, and see if they really you want to keep doing it. And then, and then under, you know, let them understand the different avenues that, that they can pursue aviation in. And I'm, you know, we have a, the flight school here at Marshall, but, you know, it may not be for every single person. And if I can find somebody that may be better suited to do it a different way, I'll do whatever I can do to help them go that way, too. So it's really trying to to help the industry, help the profession, putting pro- professional aviators into the business and being able to um, be a part of it. Uh, and, and then really encourage them to, hey, look there's going to be peaks and valleys. You know, if you, if you, if you don't pass your first test, don't give up, keep, you know, don't, don't let anything get in the way. Uh, the people that say, Oh, you know, the naysayers don't listen to them. Just keep, if that's what you want to do, put blinders on for everything else and go. And, and to be truly great at it, you know, what I always you people would always tell me, oh, you got to have, you know, balance in life and, you know, you can't be, and I would be like, well, the truly great ones in any arena, they don't have much balance. They're, they're pretty dedicated, focused, and, and uh, overwhelmingly absolved into doing what they want to do great at. (laughs) And they really don't worry about balance. They just go for what they want to achieve and, and, and have blinders on. So I would just, kind of go down that road a little bit. Yeah. I mean, if you want to be great, you look at all the great people, they're kind of obsessed with it and they kind of don't do anything else other yeah, you're than obsessed. that that's one good, thing. That's the best word to use. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, well, cool. Well, I have one more section for you. It'll be a quick one. It's uh, called the rapid fire section. Uh, I'm going to ask you very, very short, quick questions and you give me the very first response that pops up in your head. All right. Okay. What's your favorite airplane you've ever flown? G4. What is your favorite airliner let's say if you had to ride on one um you can't get the private jet to come pick you up what's your favorite airline that you want to take maybe uh from huntington over to uh napa valley or san francisco 747 coolest airplane ever made in my opinion and i've never been able to be on one. Oh man uh you can you try to find a ride on atlas right <laughs> that's right uh what's the ugliest airplane you've ever seen uh, i'll tell you mine first uh piaggio i am just a, not a fan of the piaggio it's a very unfortunate looking aircraft <laughs> It's exactly exactly what I was going to say. Look at that! I love it. What's something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Something I wish I knew before I became a pilot. Um, the amount of gratification, fulfillment, excitement, and a gratitude I would have towards the end of my career going into it. Who is one person in the industry they could be living or they could have passed on that you would like to meet most? Lindbergh. What's your favorite overall thing about aviation? 
It's the coolest job on the planet. <laughs> What's your favorite airport you've ever landed at? Favorite airport? Washington National, Reagan. Hardest approach you've ever flown? Um, hardest approach. Let's see. Uh, Maybe one that got you white San Francisco. a little bit. <laughs> San, the visual to San Francisco, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, what's your favorite approach? If you could do one every single day for the rest of your life, what would you want to do? Uh, Aspen. I love going in and out of Aspen. I love it. Least favorite airport to land at? San Francisco. <laughs> the good news is we could just sidestep to Oakland and go there from here on out, right? That's it. <laughs> yeah. Would you rather fly IFR or VFR? Uh, IFR. Favorite airport food. Let's say you are, you got 30 minutes for a connecting flight. You're going to go grab some food. What's your go-to? Probably a crudite uh, tray, uh, carrots, celery, something like that, or Starbucks. Would you rather fly? I <laughs> got it. Always love the convenience of Starbucks. Would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or the city? Mm, all, all three. Airbus or Boeing? <laughs> oh boy, I don't. Ty. Favorite airline livery? Say again. Your favorite airline livery paint job? Say, uh, the Marshall University Flight School. <laughs> Good job. I like that. I set you up for it. You hit it out of the park. Good job. Yeah, uh, right. Would you fly as many long or as many short legs in one day, or just one very very long leg? A mix. Hardest check ride you've ever had? Private. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably my hardest one too. Um, <laughs> What's the biggest win of your career so far? Of my aviation career? Uh, just, yeah, aviation career. We'll do that. I would probably say biggest win. I would have to categorize them in a couple. I would say NetJets, um, Marshall University, uh, naming the school after me. That, that'd probably be the two, yeah. two big ones. And then what's the biggest regret in your career if you have one? Something you look back on and wish you would have done different or maybe not even done? Avoided the temptation of not enjoying every step of the ride. That is uh, very hard to do, but yes. <laughs> I remember when I was very training and, and looking at everyone kind of just living what I wanted to do. And I was just like, I'm never going to get there. And you seem like it's so far off and your mind can play some crazy tricks and try to talk you out of it, but you're going to get there soon enough, right? That's right. All right, here we go. Got uh, four more. A CRJ or an ERJ? What would you rather get crammed into on a regional and fly somewhere? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got to add a, another manufacturer to this, but Piper, Cessna, or Cirrus? Boy, all three offer unique um, characteristics. Gosh, uh, I, I, you know, I, I like. I couldn't say one over the other. I would just say all three. I, yeah. I could I could do any three of those. Political man, I like it. <laughs> uh, what is? <laughs> no, that's true. I, I, they all got a lot to offer. Yeah, no, they definitely do. Um, going back on it, looking back on when you started, do you wish you would? Uh, if you could start now, would you choose a one forty one training style or sixty one part sixty one? Well, if given the all things equal, probably a one forty one only because it's just so much more structured and yeah. and it's um uh, it flows very nice and it has uh, proven concepts and programs and and things like that. So probably one forty one. 
and they have a lot of partners with airlines too. So <laughs> that sure, helps. Sure, yeah, uh, sure. Then the last question is, what's your favorite airline? If you could fly one airline for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh, probably given the choice. I, I mean, I like a, a lot of the airlines. I, I, I don't really dislike any of them uh, when I have to airline, but probably um, worldwide, probably Emirates for their service. Uh, domestically, uh, you know, I don't, it, it, all of them have a, pros and cons. Yeah, that, that's the truth. It depends on where you live, right? If you live in Atlanta, you're going to choose yeah. Delta. If you live in Charlotte, right. you're choosing American. It's like, who do I got status with? That's yeah. really all that matters. They're all the same unless that's, you got status. It, yeah, it's a commoditized business these yeah. days. So. For sure. Well, Bill, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, like I said earlier, it's so cool to talk to someone who I consider a mentor and you've helped me immensely in my career and kind of helped me lead me down a path of, of success. So thank you immensely for me and, and my family and my dad, who's actually here getting ready to watch my son when I go out for a seven day trip. He wanted me to tell you awesome. hi as well. So uh, thank you so much. Right. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'm excited for Marshall. Uh, my brother, I don't know if you knew this, my brother actually played football at Marshall. He was a uh, an oh, offensive cool. lineman there. So we are very, my best friend went to Marshall, so we have a lot of Marshall ties. So I'm rooting for you guys. Uh, I love seeing Marshall doing big things, and I always got a little bit of Marshall in my heart. So <laughs> I love it. I hear you. That's interesting. Yeah. I think you did, when you said it, I think you did tell me yeah. that um, years ago. Well, please tell your dad hello. Uh, we'd like to meet him someday. And if you know uh, folks that are interested in aviation and need a, a good training platform uh you know where to come there you go marshall university check it out bill thank you so much yeah. i appreciate it thanks that's a wrap for today's episode thank you so much for listening like i said check out the link below to check out first form their gear bars protein powder it's perfect for anyone on the go but uh, i hope you guys are having a great day it's been a long seven days looking forward to going home that's all i got for you today so as always happy flying